Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Boyd Group Services, Inc. third quarter 2020 results conference call. Listeners are, re- are reminded that certain matters discussed in today's conference call or answers that may be given to questions asked could constitute forward-looking statements that are subject to risk and uncertainties relating to Boyd's future financial or business performance. Actual results could differ materially from those anticipated in these forward-looking statements. The risk factors that may affect results are detailed in Boyd's annual information form and other periodic filings and registration statements, and you can access these documents at CDAR's database found at CDAR.com. I'd like to remind everyone that this conference call is being recorded today, Wednesday, November 11th, 2020. I would now like to introduce Mr. Tim O'Day, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Boyd Group Services, Inc. Please go ahead, Mr. O'Day. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's call. On the call with me today are Pat Pathapati, our Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, and Brock Bullbuck, our Executive Chair. We released our 2020 third quarter results before markets open today. You can access our news release as well as our complete financial statements and management discussion and analysis on our website at boydgroup.com. Our news release, financial statements, and MD&A have also been filed on CDAR this morning. On today's call, we will discuss the financial results for the three and nine month periods ended September 30th, 2020, provide a general business update, and discuss our long-term growth strategy. We will then open the call for questions. As was expected, the third quarter of 2020 continued to be significantly impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic although the impact was less severe than we experienced in the second quarter. We continue to focus on health and safety practices, such as contact-free customer drop-off and pickup, enhanced vehicle and facility cleaning practices, social distancing, and wearing personal protective equipment to keep our employees and customers safe. We continue to follow key practices that include deep cleaning facilities where an employee with a potential or confirmed case of COVID-19 is identified, as well as defined processes for quarantine and testing in situations of potential exposure to help prevent the spread of the virus. During the third quarter, we recorded sales of 508.3 million, adjusted EBITDA of 84.5 million, and net earnings of 21.1 million. Sales at 508.3 million showed a 10.3% decrease when compared to the same period of 2019. This reflects a $22.7 million contribution from 68 new locations. Our same store sales, excluding foreign exchange, decreased by 15% in the third quarter. Same store sales declines in Canada continued to be significantly higher than same store sales declines in the US, which reflects the continued slower economic reopening in Canada when compared to the US. Foreign exchange increased sales by 3.6 million due to the translation of same-store sales 
at a higher U.S. dollar exchange rate. Gross margin was 47.2% in the third quarter of 2020, compared to 45.3% achieved in the same period of 2019. The gross margin percentage improved as a result of higher labor margins, primarily due to the recognition of the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy of approximately $3.9 million, which more than offset the incremental COVID-19-related labor costs. Labor margins were also positively impacted by prudent cost controls, such as a cautious approach to bringing back resources as revenue grew in the U.S. The gross margin was positively impacted by a favorable mix of higher margin retail glass sales and normal variability in DRP pricing. Operating expenses for the third quarter of 2020 were $155.5 million, or 30.6% of sales compared to 31.7% in the same period of 2019. The decrease as a percentage of sales was impacted by the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy, as well as lower wages as a result of temporary layoffs and reduced management compensation. Boyd took a cautious approach to bringing back resources as revenue grew, which resulted in lower Q3 expenses, but is not sustainable. While many operating expenses were managed in relation to the decline in sales, certain expenses could not be reduced, such as property taxes and utility costs, which increased as a percentage of sales. Adjusted EBITDA, or EBITDA adjusted for fair value adjustments to financial instruments and costs related to acquisitions and transactions, was $84.5 million, an increase of 9.2% over the same period in 2019. The increase was primarily due to improvements in gross margin percentage. In addition, adjusted EBITDA in the third quarter benefited from the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy in the amount of $9.9 million. However, it should be noted, as is the objective of this program, we continued to employ and incur costs for employees that would otherwise have been laid off or furloughed at absent the subsidy. Net earnings for the third quarter of 2020 was $21.1 million, compared to $14.8 million in the same period of 2019. Excluding fair value adjustments and acquisition and transaction costs, adjusted net earnings for the third quarter of 2020 was $21.8 million, or $1.02 per share, compared to adjusted net earnings of $20.7 million, or $1.04 per share in the same period of the prior year. The decrease in adjusted net earnings per share is primarily attributable to a higher number of weighted average shares in 2020 due to the equity offering completed in the second quarter of this year. For the nine-month period ended September 30, 2020, we reported sales of $1.6 billion, a decrease of 7.9% over the same period of the prior year, driven by same-store sales declines of 16.5%, or 17% on a day's adjusted basis, partially offset by contributions from new locations that had not been in operation for the full comparative period. Gross margin increased to 46.1% of sales compared to 45.5% in the comparative period. The gross margin percentage was positively impacted by higher labor margins as a result of the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy 
and a cautious approach to bringing back resources as revenue grew in the U.S., along with a favorable mix of retail glass sales and normal variability in DRP pricing. Operating expenses decreased $31.1 million when compared to the same period of the prior year, primarily due to COVID-19-related cost reductions, such as staffing reductions, salary and other compensation adjustments, and reductions to other variable expenses. Operating expenses benefited from the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy, recorded as an offset to applicable indirect wages. Adjusted EBITDA for the nine-month period ended September 30, 2020, was $215.1 million, compared to $235.8 million in the same period of the prior year. The $20.7 million decrease was primarily the result of the business slowdown caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, including operating expenses that could not be mitigated. We reported net earnings of $36.7 million, compared to $49.9 million in the same period of the prior year. Adjusted net earnings per unit decreased from $3.64 to $1.69 in adjusted net earnings per share. These amounts were significantly impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. At the end of the period, we had total debt net of cash of $672 million compared to $708.7 million at June 30, 2020, $949.9 million at March 31, 2020, and $893.2 million at the end of 2019. At the onset of the pandemic, we faced significant uncertainty regarding the extent and duration of the impact of COVID-19 on our business. In addition to acting quickly to reduce our expenses, we further addressed the uncertainty by drawing down on our credit facility and raising equity to ensure our balance sheet could withstand the impact of the pandemic and still be prepared for growth as conditions stabilized. As conditions have stabilized and the impact of COVID-19 has become better understood, Boyd has made repayments of $824.3 million during the nine months ended September 30th to reduce the level of outstanding debt. As a result of the adoption of IFRS 16, Boyd reported total debt, net of cash, including lease liabilities, of $672 million compared to $895 million as of September 30, 2019, and $893.2 million as of December 31, 2019. Based on the strength of and confidence in our business, we announced today that we are again increasing our dividend by 2.2% to 56.4 cents per share on an annual annualized basis from their present level of 55.2 cents, beginning in the fourth quarter of 2020. This is the 13th consecutive year that we have increased dividends to shareholders. During 2020, the company expects to make cash capital expenditures within the previously guided range of 1.6 to 1.8% of COVID-affected sales. This excludes those capital expenditures related to acquisition and development of new locations, the investment in LED lighting, and the investment in the expansion of the WOW operating way practices through the Corporate Applications and Process Improvement Efficiency Project. 
During the first nine months of the year, the company has invested approximately $3.5 million in LED lighting of a planned $5 million investment in order to reduce energy consumption and enhance the shop work environment. This investment will not only provide environmental and social benefits, but also achieve accretive returns on invested capital. Additionally, the company has begun to expand its while operating way practices to corporate business processes. The related technology and efficiency project will result in a total $9 to $10 million investment over the next 12 months and will also be expected to streamline various processes as well as generate economic returns after the project is fully implemented. This initiative began in the third quarter of 2020 and thus far has incurred nominal costs. Thus far, we've been able to successfully adjust and manage through the challenging situation that has arisen as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Our efforts have continued to deliver positive operating cash flow during the third quarter, notwithstanding the substantial decline in revenues caused by COVID-19. Following the pause on acquisition activity that occurred during the second quarter, we have added 11 locations during and subsequent to quarter end. On a year-to-date basis, we have thus far added 30 locations. As has been our practice, I would now like to comment on some potential for insider selling. With the recent changes to the economic and political environment that has translated into the potential for tax increases in the not-too-distant future, including taxes on capital gains, some insiders may choose to sell some of their void holdings in advance of any such tax increases, but in any event, will continue to hold ownership and void shares at levels well above those required by the company's share ownership policies. The COVID-19 pandemic continues to impact our business. Thus far in the fourth quarter of 2020, same-store sales activity has continued below normal levels, although slightly better than reported in the third quarter, with both fewer miles traveled and reduced traffic congestion impacting accident frequency. In addition, the higher margin retail glass business, which had a favorable impact on our gross margin percentage in the seasonally high third quarter, is entering a seasonally slower period in the fourth quarter. The company will continue to make applications under the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy Program as long as it continues to meet eligibility requirements. However, changes have been made to the program such that the subsidy is now determined by a particular employer's revenue reduction percentage in each qualifying period rather than providing a subsidy amount based on a minimum decline in revenues. This change, combined with some additional uncertainty as to how the program will work beyond November 21st of 2020, will significantly reduce the subsidy, subsidy the Boyd will be entitled to with respect to the fourth quarter of 2020 in comparison to both the second and third quarters of 2020. Overall, we are well positioned to navigate through this challenging environment, and we are pleased to announce our new five-year growth strategy. Our new growth strategy is to double the size of our business on a constant currency revenue basis from 2021 to 2025 based on 2019 revenues implying an average annual growth rate of 15%. 
In order to achieve this, we will pursue accretive growth through a combination of organic or same-store sales growth, as well as adding new locations to our network in the United States and Canada. New location growth will continue to include single location acquisitions, as well as brownfield and greenfield startups and multi-location acquisitions. Additionally, to reduce volatility from exchange rates, effective January 2021, Boyd will begin reporting results in U.S. dollars. Given almost 90% of our revenues come from the U.S., this makes sense as an appropriate currency for reporting purposes. As always, operational excellence remains central to our business model and continuous improvement investment in our WOW operating way. We continue to work to drive excellence in repair quality, customer satisfaction, and repair cycle times to ensure the continued support of our insurance partners and vehicle owner customers. Additionally, the company has begun to expand its raw operating way practices to corporate business processes, an initiative that began in the third quarter and is expected to streamline various processes as well as generate economic returns. In summary and in closing, I continue to be incredibly proud of the steps that we've taken to adjust to this new environment and position ourselves well for the future. We've been able to adjust our business to manage through this challenging situation. We continue to believe that there will be many opportunities that come from this crisis, both internal, external, and external, and we put ourselves in a good position to come out of this crisis as a stronger company. Our priorities remain taking care of the health and safety of our team members and customers, as well as preserving financial flexibility and preparing for the opportunities that lie ahead. With that, I would now like to open the call to questions. Operator? At this time, I would like to advise everyone, in order to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Again, that is star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Our first question comes from the line of Steve Hansen with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Morning, Steve. Yeah, good morning, guys. Um, morning. Just one for me to start is on um, – I think your commentary seems to suggest, um, you know, to be cautious on the gross margin going forward. Um, you said not effectively not wanting this to extrapolate the recent performance, given your, you know, bringing back resources more slowly. I'm just trying to get a sense for now. You've got two quarters in a row where you've probably outperformed most people's expectations. But over what time frame should we expect those gross margins to get back to normal? Is it a quarter or two, Tim, or is it three quarters? I'm just trying to get a sense of that cadence. Uh, Steve, we really haven't said the, the timing of I think the impact that you saw in the third quarter and actually in the second quarter in part as well uh, was a combination of a few things. We did eliminate lots of expense that, uh, that was difficult to sustain, and uh, we were slow to bring back some of that. Uh, a good example would be our apprenticeship program, uh, which we weren't growing at the rate that we'd expected to grow, but we now are full steam ahead on that. And that does put some downward pressure on margin. The other uh, you know, key factor is the, the wage subsidy, the Canadian wage subsidy, was fairly meaningful in both Q2 and Q3. And, uh, and Q2 and Q3 are seasonally high for our glass business. And with lower collision sales and, and the glass business is a greater percentage of total sales, that has a lift on margin. Uh, so we won't get the benefit of the glass uh, seasonality in Q4. We also aren't anticipating the 
the benefit of the Canadian wage subsidy, at least not at the level that we've seen. Uh, and, uh, and we have brought back most of the resources and are really trying to move full steam ahead to, to manage the revenue that we have available. So hopefully that answers okay. your question. Yeah, I know that's helpful. And, and just one follow-up on the, the strategic growth plan to double again, uh, quite bold. Uh, just curious if, you know, if you guys mapped out sort of that pace of acquisitions you need to make to get there over the five years, um, and, and really, you know, over what cadence should we expect that to unfold? You've been relatively slow thus far, I'd say, coming out of the trough relative to a few others. And so just trying to get a sense for, you know, whether you envision some bigger deals to happen in, amongst there, because um, if it's just smaller one-offs, you're going to have to really accelerate the pace. So just maybe walk us through how confident you are in meeting that plan and whether it entails medium and or larger size deals uh, within it. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I feel very good about the opportunity that we have to achieve that goal. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's a quarter-by-quarter quarter march toward that goal. There will be uh, periods of time when we grow much faster, maybe through, you know, multiple MSO deals that happen over a successive period, as we've seen in the past. Um, but uh, but we're, you know, we're geared up and ready to grow with both with single shops and MSO. Uh, and the single shops will include, you know, as we've done in the past, single shop acquisitions. But we'll also put some focus on greenfield and brownfield opportunities. Uh, so I, I think that uh, I'm comfortable with our, our strategy and the resources that we have in place to accomplish that. Steve, uh, if you look at it, you made a comment, it has been slow, and that was a choice we made. We paused because of the uncertainty relating to the COVID-19 pandemic. So we now publicly are stating you know, that uh, we are pursuing, we are recommencing that the growth, and the industry is, is still highly fragmented, and we are well positioned to consolidate. So we, we, are, we are very optimistic. Okay, that's great, guys. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Our next question comes from the line of Michael Dumais with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, Michael. Hey, good morning, guys. Hi. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. I'd like to get a little bit more clarity on the comment regarding the sustainability of the cost action taken in Q3. Um, I mean, just in terms of how we're supposed to interpret the comment around sustainability, should we assume that margins in Q3 um, as a percentage may have peaked, um, but the dollar profits should improve with volumes? I mean, that's another way. Should we expect revenues to come back faster than costs? Well, I think one of the comments I made was that uh, we were slow to bring back resources as revenue ramped up in Q3. Uh, and, uh, and if I had to do it over, I might not be as slow with bringing back those resources. Uh, so, you know, I think the... Uh, Q3 benefited from a combination of things that I did describe, but one of them was uh, a slower response to bringing back resources just out of caution because we really didn't know exactly how the revenue would build. Gotcha, that's clear. And maybe it's an offset just as a follow-on. I mean, if it were not for Qs, um, you know, what would the, um, the alternate cost actions that resulted in terms of uh, cost reductions? Uh, Michael, we really haven't tried to assess that. You know, we had plans that we laid out at the uh, when the pandemic began, and queues did allow us to avoid some furloughs or layoffs. Uh, but because the whole you know, situation evolved in terms of the the decline in revenue and how it ramped back up, 
we really don't have the go the ability to go back and look at what might have happened had that not occurred. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, and then just on the second question, I mean, obviously we're not at the um, the acquisition pace. I guess it's that 15% CAGR. Um, I'd like to get your take on maybe what you think are the main obstacles or uh, what you think it would take to get back to that desired um, activity level. Well, I think that we have a team that is prepared to accomplish the level of growth that uh, that's required to achieve that. Um, what you're seeing or what you've seen in, in 2020 was an intentional you know, halt on growth. And while we kept you know, things that were in the pipeline warm, uh, we've still been relatively cautious with acquisitions and integration. We are getting more comfortable with, the, with doing more of the integration activity virtually and having limited resources on the ground. Uh, but, um, but we're prepared to step up the pace and believe that we have the resources uh, available to us today uh, to get on the run rate to accomplish the five-year plan. Okay, great. All right, well, nice adjustment and good performance, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Our next question comes from the line of David Newman with Desjardins. Your line is open. Morning, Good morning, David. Their line has disconnected. Please press star one if you would like to ask your question. Our next question comes from the line of Sean D. Nusra with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Thank you for taking my question. Uh, just going back to your five-year plan, you know, in terms of sort of doubling the revenue, as you think about the composition of that with the uh, acquisitions and then, you know, same-store sales, how should we think about the split? Should we go back to the prior five-year and, you know, is sort of the three-and-a-half to four percent comp still the right way to think about it as, as we look forward? We, we don't really provide specific guidance on that. Uh, but our growth plan includes both organic growth as well as uh, growth through new unit development, whether it's by acquisition or brownfield, greenfield. So uh, what, we're, uh, what our plan really calls for is 15% annual growth over that period of time, but without defining the organic versus uh, unit growth. I guess that's fair. I guess what I'm trying to understand is, you know, coming out of the pandemic, obviously that's a, that's sort of a big reality now. Do you see anything changing the underlying drivers of the industry uh, that we should consider? You know, let's just say that a vaccine comes out and things get back to normal. Do you see anything changing, you know, just the underlying dynamics of how we should be thinking about the core group? Um, I'm not sure I see anything significant. Obviously, this is such a disrupted year. We we would expect as we come out of the pandemic that our organic growth year over year would be substantially higher next year than you would normally see. But that's right. really a recovery as a result of COVID. But you know, it still remains to be seen what's going to happen with miles driven, with traffic congestion. Uh, but uh, despite all of that, I think we have an excellent opportunity to consolidate the industry and to you know, serve insurance clients and participate in the OE certification programs to help gain share as part of our overall uh, strategy toward growth. Got it. And then a follow-up question. You guys talked about streamlining some corporate practices uh, briefly there. Can you perhaps throw some more light? Is What can we expect? You know, what sort of cost efficiencies uh, can you achieve there? 
Uh, we have not uh, disclosed uh, the cost efficiencies relating to that yet. The only thing we disclosed is uh, we'll be completing that uh, over the next 12 months and also the cost associated with that. But you can certainly expect a benefit uh, potentially starting in uh, 2022, uh, but we have not uh, disclosed that information yet, the magnitude of those benefits. Got it. Thank you very much. I think the one, the one thing we have said is we expect it to provide economic returns, though. So. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's a great investment uh, from that point of view. Absolutely. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of David Newman with Desjardins. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, David. Hi, David. I think I got cut off there. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes. Okay, very good. Um, so great, great set of results first off the top. Um, just a couple of questions. Uh, one is on the, on the margin front again. I just want to look at it a kind of a, a different way, though. Uh, do you think you'll revert to historic levels and coming out of the pandemic, um, do you think Boyd might look a little different uh, in terms of hub-and-spoke intake centers, any permanent cost reductions or other identified efficiencies beyond the WOW operating way in the corporate, uh, corporate offices? Loaded question. Yeah, I think uh, there are uh, multiple questions, uh, David. I think uh, so. If you if you peel the onion, one is relating to the cost structure. The cost structure, as we commented, you know, you need to uh, normalize for the SUS. And the second one is uh, relating to some of the staffing Tim uh, commented. So we we might add back so to the taxi. It might put some pressure on the margins. And the third one is the mix between. Uh, the repair versus the replace. Like a, when you have less pressure on labor, you, you tend to use more labor and that has higher margins. And as you come back full steam, that might change a little bit back. So th those are the, 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 the factors I think you know, that, that might have a, an impact on, on the margins. So I'm going to revert back to the 45.5 in the range so that we cannot answer. We don't provide guidance on those things. Mm -hmm. uh, but we'll be striving hard you know, to uh, to enhance the EBITDA margins. And again, we don't want to get specific about uh, the gross margins or the OPEXs, but our our focus is to enhance uh, the EBITDA margins over a period of time. Okay, and just more of a high level, though. I mean, this, this pause from the pandemic, it's afforded many companies a, a chance to kind of really look look at what they're doing and how they do it. Was there any revelations for you guys in terms of uh, you know how you were operating or uh, any changes? I know you're very very efficient. But was there any any identi did you identify any anything that was that could be used go forward? Uh, absolutely, I think like in terms of the practices, I think we we told in the past I think you know, like we'll be increasing our focus on the dealer intake centers. So I think that is certainly one thing. And also like we looked at uh, our cost structure and we we found. Uh, some opportunities to consolidate uh, some of the functions and derive synergies related to those things. And again, we, we have not disclosed those things, but yeah, in fact, uh, so we, we have done and we are doing those things. Okay, and uh, the, any benefit from the right to repair law that was recently passed? I know you already have a pre and post diagnostics, but anything at the margin, any benefits that you guys can see? I, I don't think there's an immediate benefit on that, although that was an important uh, an important decision for the automotive aftermarket. Uh, so I think that uh, Massachusetts intended to, 
to lead the way on legislation like that. So I, I view that as favorable for the uh, for the aftermarket. Okay, last one for me, guys. A U.S. dollar reporting um, is this? Do you think eventually a lead into potentially dual listed? Uh, that I think no, we will make the call at the appropriate time. I think no, we are uh, uh, doing this uh, to reduce the volatility uh, because of the exchange rates. Makes sense. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks, David. Thank you, David. Our next question comes from the line of Maggie McDougall with Stiefel. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Good morning. Hi, Maggie. Uh, quick question on your intentions to extend the WOW operating way into the, your corporate culture and, and, and operations. Um, the investment or the, the cost for that, is that um, actually an investment in systems or is that more of a restructuring cost? And then secondly, um, could you provide us a bit of detail in terms of what you plan on implementing corporately? Uh, I can imagine that your on-the-floor shop operations implementation of WOW is going to be quite a bit different from what you're going to be doing in your in your back office. So we'll be curious um, exactly what you have planned there. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, there are two things. One is uh, you're right. The WOW operating way we have implemented in operations is uh, different, and uh, that is a, that's an ongoing process, but uh, we embarked on that four or five years ago, whereas this, this was started in Q3, and the focus is on uh, finance, human resources, uh, procurement, and areas like that, the strategic support services and uh, corporate functions. And the investments, mm -hmm. nine to $10 million we have identified, do include uh, systems. Uh, uh, so we are implementing a, a system, and it, the, that investment is a part of that. Okay. And, uh, you know, it sounds to me as though this may be something that will help you scale over the next five years as you work towards your, your new um, revenue target goal. Is this uh, the type of thing that could enhance operating efficiencies as you continue to add businesses to your platform? Or is it uh, simply going to be removing a bit of excess cost or creating some new efficiencies within your No, no. I think the, 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 one of the reasons we are uh, implementing the system is to, to scale up because we do have ambitious plans to grow the business and uh, this provides the right platform to enable that growth. So in addition to that, certainly you know, we are going to realize the cost synergies as Tim pointed out. Now we are looking for an attractive return on investor capital. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And then just with regards to the competitive landscape, uh, wondering if you could provide any insight into how it may have shifted or changed given the unusual circumstances of this year. It's obviously been a challenging year for the collision industry in terms of demand. Um, you guys and others, I imagine, have navigated it very efficiently. Um, have you seen this sort of increased pressure on the single store operators? Uh, has there been, a, you know, a, a multiplier um, in terms of benefit to the larger groups, given that the balance sheet stability you have is, is, is superior and, and you have been able to navigate this challenge so well? Maggie, I think it's, uh, we've commented on this in the prior quarter as well. Uh, immediately after the pandemic, there was a, a fairly significant amount of support in the U.S. provided to small businesses that really allowed uh, those that may have been undercapitalized to get through it uh, pretty well. Uh, I think our industry also has demonstrated 
uh, a reasonable ability to, uh, to manage its cost structure effectively uh, and even to generate positive cash flow in a, uh, in a tough revenue environment. Uh, having said that, I think that uh, over time, there could be more single shops of, that are uh, motivated to sell as a result of what we've gone through or what we're going through. Um, mm -hmm. We're still in the early stages, I'd say, of that, but, uh, but I'm optimistic that we'll see you know, good opportunities to come from this. Okay, thanks very much, guys. Have a nice day. Thanks, Maggie. Thanks, Maggie. Our next question comes from the line of Brett Jordan with Jeffries. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, morning Brett. Good morning, Brett. When you look at the, the, the pandemic and I guess the last maybe four or five months, did you see a spike in total loss rates that compounded the impact on your on the negative comp? I, I guess if you could sort of carve out any kind of short-term change in the insurance company's uh, thoughts here. And then I guess the second question, I'll ask it all at once. As you look at the DRP impact versus OE certification, you know, given your scale and relationships with both OE and insurance companies, which of those do you see as a bigger driver going forward, you know, in the consolidation of volumes to major players? Well, on the first question, Brett, with regard to total losses, I, I think we rely on the data that CCC publishes for that. Uh, and you know most total losses don't get to a collision repair shop. They you know, would be declared. You know, the insurance companies are motivated to, to identify those as total losses before they get to a shop. Um, so we wouldn't necessarily see an increase in total loss rates in our operations. But CCC has reported an increase in total losses. Um, used car values are a driver of that, as you know. And uh, used car prices initially went down because of oversupply, but they've uh, since returned to actually pretty solid levels. So that's a favorable trend for us. Um, but, uh, but total loss rates have been creeping up over the past several years, and, uh, and it may well be that they continue to do that. On the balance between DRP and OE certifications, I actually think that, uh, that we, uh, there is balance between that. We've invested in many OE certification programs to date. We expect to continue to grow our portfolio of OE certifications and view that as important. Uh, most insurers today do not refer business based on an OE certification program, and most OEs today don't play a significant role in where cars get repaired. But I think there's the potential for both insurers to recognize certifications and for OEs to play a greater influence on where cars go. So that's, that's the reason that I think we'll maintain strong direct repair relationships, but also continue to invest in the equipment and training and you know, processes necessary for OE certifications. Okay, great, thank you. Thanks, Brian. Our next question comes from the line of Zachary Evershed with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead, your line is open. Morning, everyone, congrats on the quarter. Good Thanks, morning, Zachary. Uh, so looking at the potential growth drivers, we have same-store sales growth, obviously, but then we have the acquisitions, greenfields, and brownfields. How do the returns compare on an acquisition at typical prices versus a greenfield and versus a brownfield? I guess we, we would generally expect greenfield and brownfield acquisitions or a growth to have a higher return on capital than single shop. Uh, 
So but we haven't, uh, I think we've provided information in the past. Well, Pat, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, I think in terms of relatively, if you look at the four buckets, I think the same store sales growth has the highest contribution margin. And then you have the, the brownfield greenfields, and the third one is the single shops, and the last one is the MSOs. But instead of purely the ROIC, one has to look at the strategic uh, value these things bring. So the MSOs may have lower, but it, it does have a, uh, it does add strategic benefits uh, for our platform. So, so you have to factor that in. But a lot of magnitude, that's how they stack up. That's helpful, thanks. And given the current environment, how easily do you think you can staff greenfields and brownfields with technicians? Uh, I, I don't think I don't view that to be an exceptional challenge. I mean, it, it is uh, probably easier to attract staff into a you know a newer facility with you know very current equipment. Um, so we don't view that it, it will require effort on our part, but we're prepared to make that effort. That's great. Thanks. Helpful. I'll turn it over. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Jonathan Lemaires with BMO. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. Thanks for taking my question. Um, just following up on that last discussion on the Greenfield store plans, uh, can you comment as to whether you've secured a real estate development partner to uh, assist you with that? Uh, we we have various options with that, so it, it's certainly not a barrier for us in terms of uh, that method of growth. When should we be thinking about um, those greenfield stores uh, beginning to be implemented and thinking about working those into our forecasts? We already started uh, focusing on this brownfield green field. In fact, uh, before the COVID hit, we, we slightly started, but we will uh, increase the focus. And as you know, it, it's going to take time, unlike the acquisitions which will hit ground running. So there's a startup phase. Uh, but as I said, we don't have, uh, we, we are not uh, providing any specific goal, but uh, that, that's part of the mix. So we are going to evaluate the opportunities so if we find Brownfield Greenfield to be more meaningful in a strategic location than acquiring a shop, then we would do it. So that's how we are going to evaluate. So it's, it's going to be part of the mix. It's uh, one of the arrows in the quiver to facilitate the growth. Okay, and last topic. On the uh, Q3 same-store sales, it seems the U.S. business is well outperforming uh, the industry claims volumes. Um, can you offer any comments as to what you would attribute that to, whether it's higher industry severity rates, market share gains for Boyd's shops, or both? Well, it's, it's, it's probably a combination of that. Those are pretty difficult numbers for us to clearly assess, uh, but we we do believe we've gained some share. You know, we have strong direct repair relationships with our insurance clients. Um, there is also a component of severity. Uh, of the average cost of repair, which has been you know, creeping up over the years, and, and that's continued even through 2020 based on the data we see. So it's a, it's a combination of those. Great. Thanks for your comments. Thanks, Thanks gentlemen. Welcome. Your next question comes from the line of Steve Hansen with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Your line is open. 
Oh, hey, guys, just two quick follow-ups, if I may. Um, first is on the fourth quarter, same source sales trend. You commented, Tim, that things are trending slightly better than the third quarter print. But I'm just, just curious if, if that if you've seen any fade at all in the activity pattern uh, in, through November as we start here. Some of the industry data suggests that things are a little bit softer here. Yeah, I think the the only comment we're really providing is a historical look back. So up through uh, the very recent time, we've seen a slight improvement from where we were in Q3, but it's pretty difficult to predict exactly what will happen over the next you know, seven weeks. With, uh, with Obviously, there's a pretty significant increase in in the pandemic and the impact of the pandemic, but uh, we, we don't don't really have any other guidance for what the balance of Q4 may look like. Okay, great, that's fine. Um, and just one point of clarification on the five-year target, just make sure I've got the language correct. It, it, it sounds like you're using 2019 as the baseline for your five-year doubling. In other that's words, right. 2020 is almost a throwout year in a way. Right, yeah, that's, that's right. sort of how we're viewing it. Steve, is that uh, okay. we're basing basing the targets on 2019 revenue. Okay, Tim, it's Brock. Just just maybe a comment to add on that, uh, based on some of the earlier questions that sort of intimated that we were behind the curve against that growth trajectory. Well, we're really not behind because the measurement period really hasn't started yet. The measurement period is 2021 through 2025. Um, and just as we are basing the baseline on 2019, we, we really have, and, and 2020 is therefore a throwaway year from a baseline perspective. It's also a throwaway year from a growth perspective. So I, I just wanted to, I think, I thought it was important to point out that the measurement period, that, that the five-year period that we are giving ourselves to achieve this growth really doesn't kick in until 2021. No, that's good commentary. That's helpful, guys. Okay, appreciate the time. Uh, great results. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Our next question comes from the line of Matt Bank with CIBC. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Good morning, Matt. Hi, Matt. Good morning. Uh, I want to clarify. Um, make sure that I understood a comment you made earlier on, on the call. It sounded like you said that e even after, you know, officially restarting M&A and doing some of it, you were cautious on deals, but now you are ready to pick up the pace. Is that is that a fair way of, of, of hearing it? And then can you just also comment on the on on the pipeline, um, you know, and the and the M&A opportunities available to you and how that looks versus, you know, what you would have seen pre-COVID? Well, on, on your first question, Matt, I think we are prepared to pick up the pace. I would say, you know, we still need to be aware of the fact that the number of COVID cases is increasing, and we have a responsibility to keep our team safe. Uh, so, you know, if the environment were to uh, make it more difficult, we could slow down some things for that reason. But, but we're prepared to to pick up the pace. In terms of the pipeline, I, I would say we're comfortable that. Uh, that our pipeline has, uh, as we've communicated in the past, we think we have a, a strong pipeline of potential opportunities to pursue and, and that that should not be a barrier to achieving our plan. Matt, uh, our focus is for the longer term. So you, you may see a slightly different pace in the very short term. That's why we're providing the guidance for five years starting 2021. And we're very confident about uh, uh, achieving those, those goals. 
that's it for me. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Our next question comes from the line of Chris Murray with AltaCorp. Your line is open. Yeah, Hi, Chris. Hi. Um, Hi, Chris. You know, I guess maybe my question is thinking a, bit, a little bit about the strategic plan. And, you know, you've talked about the five-year revenue target. Um, but what I was also curious about um, is thinking about the composition of how you're going to build that revenue. And you've talked about, you know, certainly same-store sales and, and and store acquisitions, but just wondering about things like, you know, how, how you're going to maybe be thinking about things like um, intake centers, cost management. And, and what I'm really trying to understand is, you know, are we, should we expect not necessarily the revenue growth number, you know, we can kind of get there, but the quality of earnings over that period, how do you think that that's going to evolve? I'm, I'm not sure I completely understand the well, is there anything you can do as you grow that revenue to improve the margin profile of the company, other than just straight up absorption? Yeah, I uh, I think that we'll have to see what the market gives us the opportunity to do on that, Chris. I think the you know in the collision repair business right now, uh, parts as a percentage of total mix has been increasing because of your know, greater part content as well as higher part prices. Uh, and as you know, our parts margins uh, tend to be lower than our labor margins, or they are lower than our labor margins. On the other hand, uh, I think there are opportunities for additional labor operations, uh, particularly as it relates to you know, ADAS, uh, that could help to offset that. Uh, and then, obviously, we, we're looking for organic sales growth that would drive, you know, maybe not gross margin improvement, but EBITDA margin improvement. Uh, to help us improve our you know, profitability during that planning horizon. I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, and just and just maybe you know any thoughts around um, you know do you do you try to look to accelerate you know using intake centers, which generally bias your margins one way or another, or anything like that. And you're and and again, the, I guess the other piece is um, you know your involvement with DRP programs, or do you do something different there as well? Well, we, I don't see any significant change in our involvement with direct repair programs. I think those are, uh, I mean, those are a key source of, of our revenue and delivering value to our clients from that standpoint. I do think intake centers is something that we will uh, continue to pay attention to. We have been, and we will continue to do that. That's a, a good driver for organic growth. Uh, and, uh, but I, I don't think it changes the overall profit profile beyond you know, driving organic growth and uh, and you know, using DRPs and operational excellence to drive further organic growth. Okay, that's fair. Thanks, folks. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. There are no further questions at this time. I will now turn the call back to Tim O'Day. Very good. Thank you, operator, and thank you all once again for joining our call today. We look forward to reporting our fourth quarter and year-end results in March of next year. Thanks and have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks everyone. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.